Hi everyone, I'm Michael Millerman and this is Millerman Talks. Today I want to talk to you about Alexander Dugan's book, The Fourth Political Theory. Can you see that? But first I want to share some news with you. Starting mid to late June, I'm going to be running an online course and reading group First, I want to sh- okay, hang on. First, I want to share some news with you. Starting in June, I'm going to be running an online course and reading group in political theory and political philosophy. I plan to cover texts by Leo Strauss, Martin Heidegger, Carl Schmitt, and others. But the first text in the series, the first book that we'll be reading together is Alexander Dugan's Fourth Political Theory. In the course, we're going to read the whole book and analyze, discuss, interpret, criticize. Um, there will be question and answer periods in every live session and um, a lively discussion on the online forums as well. I'll highlight connections to Dugan's other writings, including to some of his untranslated books, to make sure that everyone who participates in the program comes away with a solid understanding of the fundamentals and the details of Dugan's project. Now, because uh, The Fourth Political Theory is the first book in this inaugural series of online courses, I thought it would be nice to speak with you today for a few minutes about the introduction to The Fourth Political Theory, um, the introductory section of The Fourth Political Theory. Now, as you may or may not know, depending on whether you're watching me for the first time or whether you've seen any of the other videos or read my other materials, I started translating Dugan's Fourth Political Theory in 2011. It was then published in 2012, uh, including some of the chapters I translated. And some of the other chapters I translated came out later under the title The Rise of the Fourth Political Theory. I've translated a lot of Dugan's books and articles. I wrote about him in my dissertation, and I continue to study him and to translate him. So I, uh, I plan to bring all of that knowledge and all of that uh, familiarity with his writings to the table um, when we start to study the fourth political theory together. So if we turn our attention to the introduction, not so, cut. If we turn our attention now to the introduction to the fourth political theory, uh, one thing jumps out right from the very first sentence, which is that Dugan is not initially interested in timeless questions like what is justice or what is the best political regime, but rather with a very timely question and one that also has great relevance to a specific place, uh, not only time. And that is this. So, okay, I'm going to cut this blank. The question is what to do at the start of the 21st century where there are no longer any serious, well-organized ideological alternatives or opponents to liberalism. And when the opponents that used to exist, like communism and fascism, have been discredited or can no longer be treated as viable alternatives. So what do we do now that the conflict of ideologies represented in the 20th century has come to an end with liberalism being the last ideology standing, becoming all dominant and um, implicit as a matter of status quo. That's the first, very first section of the introduction. That's the problem that, uh, that we're facing, according to Dugan. And 
liberalism, he writes, had always insisted on de-emphasizing the importance of politics, for instance, in favor of economic or social factors. Um, and it made the decision to abolish politics completely after its triumph. And this decision was presented not as a political process, but as a natural and organic one. So what he's saying is that the idea that a genuine conflict over first principles, over things like the nature of man, his relationship to the whole, the good to which we ought to uh, commit ourselves, all the fundamental questions like that, um, and all the conflict over first principles between friends and enemies, which constitutes the core of political life, was replaced by a view that fundamental antagonisms could be overcome through consensus, through dialogue, or by just bracketing the issue of first principles altogether, by putting the substantial disagreements uh, out of sight and out of mind. When liberalism no longer had to fight against opponents that could put an end to it, Dugan says, it mutated into a lifestyle of consumerism and fragmented sub-political individualism, culminating, some might say today, in what people are calling clown world. In other words, in a situation of self-parodying absurdity where we seem to have lost all guidance, all standards, all seriousness, and um, are in some sort of freakish world. There's no issue in this situation for people who agree with liberalism and its transformations, for the clowns and the people amused by them. No question arises here of a viable alternative because they're not looking for one. But what about people who don't agree with the status quo? They find themselves, Dugan writes, in a difficult situation. The triumphant enemy, liberalism, has dissolved and disappeared, which means you can't fight against political liberalism anymore because now the whole field of the political, constituted by these fundamental antagonisms between friends and enemies, has collapsed. There are no more genuine enemies. There is no more field of the political. Liberalism, which was once an alternative in the foreground, has now just become operative in the background. So critics of liberalism are left struggling against the air, he writes. And how can one engage in politics if there is no politics? How can you engage in the political if the field of the political has collapsed. So the specific situation Dugan addresses at the very beginning of the introduction to the fourth political theory is the collapse of the field of the political after the victory of liberalism over its ideological opponents, especially communism and fascism. The fourth political theory idea presupposes that one is dissatisfied with the status quo but has no clear line of attack and no feasible alternatives at hand. In this situation, Dugan writes, there's only one way out, to reject the classical political theories, both winners and losers, strain our imagination, comprehend the reality of the new world that we find ourselves in, correctly decipher the challenges of post-modernity, and create something new beyond the political battles of the 19th and 20th centuries. Such an approach, he writes, is an invitation to the development of the fourth political theory beyond communism, fascism, and liberalism." End quote. Many critics of Dugan say that the fourth political theory is basically a fancy name for fascism, what he calls the third political theory. 
That is totally wrong, and there's not a shred of evidence for it in this book, The Fourth Political Theory. And you can see already, as early as the introduction, Dugan is insisting that the fourth political theory must be beyond fascism, as well as communism and liberalism. It must reject both the winners and the losers, he says, of the 20th century ideological struggle. That means rejecting both liberalism and the ideologies that challenged it, including fascism. It must understand the postmodern situation in a way that fascism, as itself modern, was not forced to do. Whatever might be the details of its relation to the earlier political theories, which we'll get into in more detail in the course, the fourth political theory cannot be thought of as just repackaging or rebranding them. And it's definitely not that. And we literally only had to read like less than two pages of the introduction. You had to go through about just a handful of paragraphs to see that Dugan is a wholesale rejection of the 20th century alternatives. They can't be a point of reference for the creation of something new. It's not just more communism or more fascism. And the strange thing is that so many Dugan experts, quote unquote, um, get that totally wrong, really because they approach him in bad faith, not with the desire to understand what his arguments are, but already knowing in advance that he must be an enemy because of his attitude towards liberalism and already having projected onto him in advance what they hope to find in him in the act of reading him. Well, to repeat, the book really provides an abundance of evidence against the claim that he's repackaging fascism. And uh, for instance, there's an appendix. If you have a copy of this book, you can look at the first appendix on political post-anthropology, as he calls it, where he rejects the figure of the fascist political soldier. So the way that we fight the collapse of the political is not just by reasserting some figure from the recent past that may seem more martial and more noble and more heroic, because that figure has, in postmodern circumstances, the character of a simulacrum, of something that is uh, not, uh, not the real deal. Okay, so the fourth political theory finds itself in the situation where it, um, it stands opposed to liberalism, but without any clear sense of what the alternatives may be if fascism and communism are also to be rejected. So what does the development of the fourth political theory require, according to Dugan? It requires that we reconsider the history of recent centuries from new positions beyond the frameworks and cliches of the old ideologies meaning not primarily in terms of class history or the progressive realization of human rights or the record of racial antagonism, which are ways that the uh, first three political theories might look at political history. Um, it requires that we understand the structure of global society and the paradigm of post-modernity, that we learn to oppose not only the political idea and program, the political strategy, but as he puts it, the objective reality of the status quo. The most social aspect of the apolitical, fractured post-society. So we must understand this situation, must decipher it well, and must learn to oppose ourselves, according to Dugan, if the project is to elaborate the fourth political theory. We must learn to oppose not just some concepts or ideas, but the existing post-social, fragmented, and fractured reality. 
And finally, it requires that we construct an autonomous model, a new project for the world in which we find ourselves. In other words, Dugan says, we need a reconsideration of history in a new light. We need to decipher the nature of the contemporary world. And we need to create a project that can oppose all three of liberalism, communism, and fascism. Not marginally, not some sort of marginal opposition, but in a way that can reconstitute the whole field of the political and pose an actual threat to the liberal uh, political and intellectual order. That's the task of his book. That's the task of the undertaking, according to the introduction. Now, I'd like to draw your attention to something Dugan says, something important Dugan says about the nature of the fourth political theory and his relation to it. He says that the fourth political theory, it's not the work of a single author, but rather a trend comprising a wide spectrum of ideas, research, analysis, prognosis, and projects. Anyone thinking in this vein, he writes, can contribute his own ideas. More and more intellectuals, philosophers, historians, scientists, scholars, and thinkers will respond to this call. Now, in fact, you see such communities, communities built around the fourth political theory, um, clearly in the Russian language networks of Dugan's websites, like Platonism.ru, uh, Platonism with a Z, not an S. Um, there are active communities, and another one was at Moscow State University Center uh, for Conservative Studies, um, now defunct, I think. But the point is, there are, in fact, uh, easy-to-spot communities in the, in the Russian language online network that are developing the ideas of the fourth political theory. Um, in other words, the fourth political theory is not a closed dogmatic ideology belonging to Alexander Dugin as a single figure. Rather, it's an open project with some guidelines and points of orientation, which creative thinkers can develop and to which they can contribute. Here's how he puts it at the end of chapter two. Any strictly constructed ideology is always a simulacrum and always inauthentic. That is to say, it is always a lack of freedom. Therefore, the fourth political theory should not hurry to become a set of basic axioms. Perhaps it is more important to leave some things unsaid, to be discovered in expectations and insinuations, in allegations and premonitions. The fourth political theory, he writes, should be completely open. Now, there are good Platonic and Heideggerian explanations for that insistence on openness in other works of his. By the way, for instance, in uh, Heidegger's distinction between worldview and philosophy, which he develops in the Contributions to Philosophy of the Event, a work of importance for Dugan. And also, Dugan has a distinction himself between open and closed Platonism, where he agrees with Heidegger about the rejection of closed Platonism, but believes that Heidegger can be... Uh, made to work consistently with open Platonism. So this idea that we must guard against a closed, axiomatically closed ideological dogmatism, is um, it's built into the fourth political theory. And one of the reasons I wanted to highlight that is not only because it's in the introduction, and I want to talk to you about the introduction, but because Dugan is often called a, uh, a mere ideologue, someone who's just out 
to put together a basic system of anti-liberal axioms that can be operationalized um, more or less effectively by enemies of the United States and of the liberal order. But what I found over eight years of reading him and translating him and studying him, and what jumped out even as I say in the introductory, page, in the introductory pages of this book, is his, uh, his explicit opposition to the idea of making the fourth political theory a closed dogmatic system. So we've got to keep that in mind no matter how many times we hear uh, about him statements to the contrary, that he's uh, nothing more than an ideologue. Okay, so the fourth political theory, as I've said, is an open project and not a closed dogma, according to Dugan. It can be developed by anyone, anywhere, in principle, provided they feel the need for an alternative to all three of liberalism, communism, and fascism. Now, what is its significance for Russia? Here's what Dugan says about that in the introduction. For my own country, Russia, the fourth political theory, among other things, has immense practical significance. The majority of Russian people suffer or experience their integration into global society as a loss of their own identity. The Russian population almost entirely rejected liberalism in the 1990s, but it's also apparent that a return to the illiberal political ideologies of the 20th century is unlikely, as these ideologies have already failed and proven themselves unequal to the challenge of opposing liberalism, to say nothing of the moral costs of totalitarianism. Still quoting, um, therefore, in order to fill this political and ideological vacuum, Russia needs a new political idea. And if for some readers, it's a matter of uh, political choice, sorry, if for some readers, this is a question of freedom of choice and the realization of political will, in other words, some readers can adopt the fourth political theory project freely and as an expression of their political will. For Russia, it's a matter of life and death, to be or not to be. If Russia chooses to be, it will automatically bring about the creation of a fourth political theory, Dugan writes. Otherwise, there remains only the choice not to be, which will mean to leave the historical and world stage, dissolving into a global order, neither created nor governed by us. Much of that speaks for itself, but I would still like to draw your attention to three points about the passage I just read. First, it's sometimes alleged that Dugan is overly sympathetic to communism and fascism and has no moral compass when it comes to what communist and fascist states have done to human life. A criticism Olavo de Carvalho made against Dugan in their debate, for example. Here, however, he acknowledges the moral costs of totalitarianism as one of the disqualifying factors in relying on them as alternatives to liberalism. Second, it's not mere poetry when Dugan says that the question of the fourth political theory is for Russia the issue to be or not to be. In his books on the German philosopher Martin Heidegger, Dugan makes an argument about the unique existential character of the Russian people. The existence or non-existence of Russia, it's to be or not to be, is not the same for him as whether or not there is something called the Russian Federation or a space on the map labeled Russia. 
The question is whether anything distinctly Russian operates behind the name. And his analysis of what that distinctly Russian something might be is expressly concerned with questions of being, especially as they're developed by Heidegger. Loosely speaking, he's concerned with the unique Russian relationship to being, a relationship that is severed or grossly distorted under the ideological constraints of liberalism, not to mention communism and fascism. That's why the very first chapter of this book has a section where Dugan calls Heidegger the deepest foundation of the fourth political theory. And the second chapter explains his appeal to Heidegger's notion of Dasein as a potential basis for the fourth political theory. The philosophical question of the uniqueness of Russian being, and more generally the uniqueness of the being of peoples, of their relationship to being, is an integral part of the foundations of the fourth political theory. So when you first read this introduction and you hear Dugan say that the question of uh, the fourth political theory for Russia is to be or not to be, you might think he's just using a very effective uh, image about, about its importance. You know, that's a crucial decision to make, a lot hinges on it, a lot rests on it. But scratch beneath the surface and you see that in fact he's dedicated possibly I would say even thousands of pages because he's got now four volumes on Heidegger. Um, dedicated in some way or another to dealing with this problem, um, he's de dedicated over a thousand pages to what the question of being and the meaning of being means for peoples. So that's something else that we'll have to get into in more detail on another occasion. I do have some essays on Dugan's Heideggerianism on my academia site. I'll put a link to that below if you want to start to um, follow the silver thread. The third and final point uh, is related to what I just said. Although Dugan concludes the introduction with a statement about the importance of the fourth political theory to Russia and its question to be or not to be, anyone, anywhere, any people with a concern that its independence and unique existential constitution is threatened by global liberalism has good reason to take interest in Dugan's analysis of the problem and to thoughtfully examine the characteristics of his proposed solution. Keeping in mind, as I said, that it's an open project and that he's invited those of you who resonate with it to contribute to it. So yes, he ends on the note of the significance for Russia, but you may ask yourself whether you're watching in uh, wherever you may be watching, what is the significance of this question for my country, for my people, for my civilization, for myself and for my community? That's all I want to say about the introduction to the fourth political theory at the moment. It's only two or three pages, but I hope you can already see just how much is packed into it and how much there is to unpack and to understand. As I mentioned earlier, I'll be leading a reading group on this book uh, in mid to late June. The cost, it's, I wish that I could just make it free, but there will be a cost to it. The cost is $49, that's less than what I charge for a single hour of tutoring. And we'll go over the whole book um, in a lot of detail and I'll fill in all the blanks that I can and I'll elaborate on every question um, that comes up as best I can. And we'll be with a community of other, um, of other readers who will also be able to contribute greatly to the discussion. Whether you end up watching the course live on Google Hangouts, which is where it will be hosted, or whether you watch the recordings 
after the fact on my website. I encourage you to register if you want to study this book with me. Uh, I should do that again, hey? There's a link in the video description below. There's a link in the video description below that you can follow. Sorry. There's a link in the video description below. If you follow that link, it'll take you to a page where you can sign up for the course or just sign up to the mailing list where I'll keep you posted on how things are um, unfolding, when the course starts and so on. And I'll update you about other courses that I'll be running also. So make sure you have a look at that. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for watching. See you next time. Good. Well, I just want to do this one again quickly. And we're still within the 30 minutes. And then I got to see that we didn't skip. Okay, hold on. That's all I'd like to say about the introduction to the fourth political theory at the moment. As I mentioned at the start of this video, I'll be leading a reading group and online course on the fourth political theory starting mid to late June. It's $49 to register. There's a 20% discount um, if you register before June 1st. The details are at the link um, below this video, so I encourage you to have a look. And even if you don't want to register for the course at the moment, which I recommend you do, you can sign up just to be kept uh, informed about other courses that I'll be offering in the future. Thanks so much for watching. See you next time. Good?